God speaks to us through his word in Acts 2, through 36. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with this confidence about the patriarch, David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Hey, good morning. So glad that you guys are with us today. Um, if I have not met you yet, my name is Ben. I'm, I'm uh, one of the leaders in this church, but get to serve as the lead pastor here. And uh, really are, really are honored that you guys would be with us uh, today and that you would uh, take time out of your Easter morning to come and join us for our 11 o'clock service. Okay, we're gonna be in Acts chapter two. If you have a Bible, uh, please go ahead and open there now. We'll also have these words on the screen. And if you don't, if you're kind of wondering, like, I don't, I don't, I didn't bring a Bible. Uh, we've got plenty of Bibles here that we would love to give you. So if you don't have a Bible at all, um, man, we would love to hand you a Bible today and even show you kind of how to read it. And maybe you're not familiar with the Bible. Uh, you can do like I do, and it's my job to preach the Bible. I sometimes have to go to the table of contents and figure out what, what page number it's on. So we're in Acts, so just go to the table of contents, look up the, the Acts, and then it'll tell you exactly what page to turn to. And we'll be in chapter two uh, today. So um, I want to talk about a little bit um, the story of the man that preached the sermon. What we just read was a sermon, and it was delivered by a man in this book of the Bible, Acts chapter 2. And the name of the guy that delivered the sermon is a guy called Peter. So Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus, which means simply this. Jesus had a group of men, maybe you've heard this growing up in the Bible Belt, Jesus had a group of men that followed him really closely. They were called his disciples. And the goal would have been for them to watch Jesus while he was on earth, and so they could kind of figure out how to live their life, but really to follow him, and they could figure out how to be saved. Because Jesus had one mission on earth, and that was to go toward the cross, which is what we do today, which is why today is so important, because it's been known as Resurrection Sunday throughout the history of the church. Not just Easter, but Resurrection Sunday. 
And it's actually that today is the marquee day. We would not be here. We wouldn't be singing. I wouldn't have a job. You wouldn't have the hope of eternity. None of it would have happened if it weren't for this day today, Resurrection Day. And Peter, the man that stands up and preaches this really well thought out, really well articulated, powerful sermon, that man has a story. And I want to talk today about his story. Is it possible that Peter just out of nowhere just kind of said, well, I'm going to all of a sudden be smart. I'm going to have a teleprompter in front of me. (laughs) Somebody's going to write a really profound sermon. Is that what happened today with him? No, no. The man that preached this, something happened to his life. What could possibly happen in someone's life to give them enough power and clarity to stand up and say the things that he said. Here's what he said to several thousand people. You crucified Jesus. You did. It wasn't somebody else. It was this group of people right here today. You are the reason why God himself had to die, even though he was perfect. What gives a man... Was he just born with that kind of confidence? Was Peter just kind of like, well, he just so happens to like, he's, he's, he's lacking enough social skill to where he didn't really care about what people thought so he could just stand up there and say things? There's people in the room who are like, I kind of have that. <laughs> what was it that made Peter able to do what he did? And I think it's really important for you today I think it's really important for me today to really understand exactly what happened in this man's life to give him the kind of confidence, the kind of gravity that it needs to stand up and go, I'm probably gonna lose my life for this, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Which begs the question of this, the same question that they were asking at the time. There was massive upheaval in this time. There's also massive upheaval today. Somebody said amen. 2023, just like the first century. Just think about it this way. If you think that we're crazy today, God himself was born. God himself was a carpenter, a good man. As a matter of fact, he was so good that he never once sinned his entire life. How bad does a culture, how bad does a time have to be in order to kill someone who never sins. And he died the worst death of all time. How bad does it have to be outside? How bad does a culture have to be in order to kill someone who never sins against anybody? How bad does it have to be? I I get mad at myself because I'm like, I can't even go one day without having a bad thought. I can, 20 minutes is like, I'm doing pretty good. Anybody else experience that? I'm the pastor now. I'm telling you the truth. One whole day, just be like, I'm trying to think of in my mind, like, when's the last time I thought, I did pretty good today? I can't, do you have a day like that? I thought, I did pretty good. I get mad at myself. Can you imagine how bad it's gotta be for a man to have lived totally sinless his entire life and to be murdered by a culture. When I look around outside, and when you do too, like, 
I look around and I ask the question, maybe you ask this too, this is crazy. This whole construct, this whole world, this whole like, people are acting crazy, they're doing crazy stuff. Is it fixable? Can we fix what's happening? Or maybe in this room today, and even more important for you individually, is I look at Pot County. I look at Shawnee and I go, is Pot County even fixable? Are you fixable? There's a few things that I'm going to tell you that are true and that may be offensive, but they are true. <laughs> I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. Number one, you are anxious. You are. You have anxieties in your life. If there's a parent in the room, the parent's about to stand up on the chair and shout, amen. I've got anxieties in my life and their names are. <laughs> amen. You're anxious. But now it's gone so far as to say that you probably are a little mad. Maybe you're upset, maybe you're actually disappointed. Maybe in the room today, this is the Pot County reality, is that you're disappointed that your family and your job and yourself have not satisfied you the way that they were supposed to. You may be even mad at God. God was supposed to do for me the thing that I thought that I deserved. And maybe you're even mad at his church because those people I came to church because I thought maybe they had gotten the thing that they want. They had finally figured out life and the pastor's up here telling me that he's no different than I am. God, you are supposed to do for me the thing that I think I'm worth, the thing that I deserve. I'm pretty good. I mean, I go to church occasionally at least, but I'm a pretty good, I work hard. You know, I vote the right way, I think. I'm like, I would consider myself, somebody said, are you a Christian? I'd probably be like, well, yeah, I think so. I'm in Shawnee. It's the way I grew up. You know, I prayed before. I'm doing pretty good. And I still, I'm so anxious. And I'm in an anxious time. Are you fixable? <laughs> Can somebody fix you? Do we even think about it on this level? I'm gonna to talk to you in a very honest and simple way today about a man and a group of people from Acts 2 that were dealing on the same level in the same way with the things that you are dealing with now in a crazy culture. And that's two things. Addiction, their shame, their shame and addiction, and then also this thing called dead religion because I'm in a room today with a bunch of people that I would imagine are on some level at least have no desire to just play the church game, have no desire to just play the Pot County Christian game. We need, you need it, I need it, I need reality. I need something real. And my proposal to you today is that that something found its way to Peter and to those men in Acts 2. There's facts that we need to discover. One, Christ really did rise up out of the tomb. And if he really did rise up out of the tomb, then what in the world does that mean for you right now? Is it just something we think, that's a good idea? 
resurrection of Christ offers us something today that nothing else can. Not your money, not your comfort, not your perpetual vacation, not your family, not your security. It offers us something that you desperately need because none of that stuff fixes, gives us the remedy that we need in a world that's so anxious. It offers true life change, true life change here, now, today. But not just for the here and now, forever. Let's jump into it. First thing is this, in the life of Peter, we see it. The resurrected Christ can free us from shame and addiction. It frees us from shame and addiction. In Acts, Peter is standing, he's about to preach a profound message with clarity, without any study, again, with no teleprompter. It's one of the best sermons ever preached in history. As a matter of fact, this sermon was how the church kind of started. Let's talk about Peter, though. This man that we saw that we just read is not the same Peter that we read about most of Scripture. Let me tell you about Peter's life. Peter was absolutely addicted to the approval of other people. Addicted. There's nobody really that's had any excuse to be more shame-filled than Peter in his life. See, Peter started his life following Jesus by throwing away his entire family's inheritance and his job. Peter was a fisherman. And Jesus went and called out to Peter and said, come follow me. And in an instant, Peter said, okay, see you, family. I'm gonna go go follow that man because it looks like he's got some authority. And then later on, we see multiple times Peter just opening his mouth, sticking his foot in his mouth, so much so that Peter's the only guy on record that we have that Jesus called Satan. This is a true story. Peter wanted Jesus to overthrow the government and establish him as the king. So all of the disciples did. They said, if Jesus, if you're truly the son of God, overthrow the Roman government and make us the kings. Put us in authority over them. And Jesus said, no, no, Peter, that's not what I came to do. I'm gonna be killed. I came to die. The son of man came to serve and not be served. And then Peter rebukes Jesus, says, what do you mean you're gonna die? You're supposed to overthrow the government and put me at your right hand. And Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. I've got work to do. How, how bad do you have to be in order for God to say, get behind me, Satan? It's Peter, one of the disciples. Peter's also the first out of the boat. There's a story about when Jesus walked on water. Some of you guys have heard. <clears throat> well, a disciple got out of the boat and started to walk on water. Peter was the first one out of the boat. And you might think, man, what faith. Amazing. He didn't even hesitate. He got out and started walking on water. But the problem was is he didn't have the faith to do it because he started to drown. Jesus had to pick Peter up out of the water and save him, which is actually the truth for anybody that's ever been saved, is that we think we can be God and walk on water too, but Jesus has to save us. Peter, Peter also in the garden, you think, man, this guy is devoted. If he gets out of the water first, I mean, surely his faith is big. Well, they go to the garden the night that Jesus is about to die. And Jesus asks his disciples to just do one thing, just one thing. Stay awake. I'm going to go pray. I'm about to die. And just 
please, just do this one thing. Stay awake. Peter couldn't do that. Fell asleep. So does this sound like we're... Sounds like we're talking about somebody that needs some kind of medication. It's like, dude, you are up and down, left and right. Like, what is going on in you? You have so much faith in one second, and then you have no faith. You can't even stay awake. And then the soldiers come in the garden to take away Jesus. And you know the story about Peter draws out his sword, and he cuts the ear off of the, of the Roman soldier? Every time I tell this story, I always remember an old pastor said, thank God he was a fisherman. <laughs> he cast his sword, just cuts the ear off. And what had happened even before that was just incredible. Jesus says to them, all the disciples there, they're going out to pray. Jesus is about to be offered up and give his life. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And then Peter says something crazy. He says emphatically, everyone else will, but I won't. Now, hey, I don't know how many friends you have, but just imagine your closest friends of all time who you have slept on the ground with, tried to find food. You've all been around each other. Peter stands up. Imagine you standing up to all your friends. When Jesus says that, you look at all your friends and go, everybody, everyone else will betray you. I won't. (laughs) And Peter answered him, says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, even if I must die, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same. What is it that causes a man to say, no way, even if I must die, I will never deny you? What is it that causes a man to not only once, not only twice, but after the second time, Jesus said, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter does it, by the way. He denies him three times. This is like maybe hours, but for sure several minutes. After Jesus had just predicted, you will deny me, Peter goes and denies him three times over the course of the night. What in the world? I feel like after the second time, at least, just because I would want to win the argument, I would be like, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't believe we made it this far. What is it that says, that makes a man go, all of these people, if, if I have to die, I will never deny you, and then immediately go and deny Jesus. And one of the translations says, in odes and curses around Roman soldiers, he was addicted. He cared about the moment. He cared about what the people right around him thought about him. And that's it. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Matthew 26, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear a curse? I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And this man, who sold out all of his friends and had the bravado and the courage to get out of the boat and said, I will die before I betray you, that man 
went out and wept bitterly. How many in this room today can identify with Peter? How many of us in this room today have denied Jesus to the point of even, even making O's? God, you owe me this thing. God, you promised me this thing. God, you have not delivered like I thought you would. I don't trust you. I don't trust your church. I don't trust these people. How many of us in this room today have made oaths? Said, I deserve something different than what you have given me. You don't deserve me, God. How many of us? The fact is this. You have done that. And so have I. Everybody in the room and everybody who has ever lived has done the exact same thing. We are deniers of God. We are betrayers of God. The Bible says that all have fallen short. Every single one of us have sinned. That's what sin is. Peter's more than just a story. He's all of us. All of us have denied Jesus with curses, with oaths, swearing, thinking we deserve something better. And then something crazy happens. At this point, Peter would have been identified as not being one of the disciples. And the way that we know that is because Jesus did. He went ahead and he was murdered on a cross. But the good news is, is that he rose from the dead. He had fully accomplished everything that he set out to accomplish. And the angel of the Lord appears to these women, to Jesus' followers at the tomb. They came to minister to Jesus' dead body. And the stone was rolled away on resurrection day. And there was no Jesus in the tomb, but there was an angel there. And here's what the angel said to the women. But go tell the disciples and Peter <coughs> that he is going before you to Galilee. Go tell the disciples and Peter. That lets us know something. Peter had considered himself not one of the disciples, but he wasn't the only one. God himself had considered Peter not a disciple. Peter didn't believe we don't know what he believed, but he believed in a God that would give him everything he ever wanted, overthrow the Roman government. But Jesus confronted Peter and said, you'll betray me. And Peter actually did betray him. And now he knows for sure, I'm not, I don't know who I was following, but this is not the God I thought he was. He's not a disciple. And here's the thing that gets me. Christ did not have to come. He was totally fine. He was totally satisfied. Christ didn't come because he was bored. He wasn't like thinking like, man, heaven's really boring without people in it. He was completely satisfied. He was eternal. He came to accomplish tearing the veil. You know what that means is in the temple there was a veil. There was this place called the resting place of God, the Holy of Holies. That was the place that God was considered to have his presence, to have been seated. And then outside of that was all the rest of the temple, the court of the nations, all nations, Gentiles. And there was this veil in between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple, meaning that this long curtain kept the presence of God from the people of God. And when Jesus died, you know what happened to the veil? It was torn all the way down, which meant this. 
now the presence of God is available to everybody. So Jesus died and that happened. And so we know without a doubt it is done. It worked. It's accomplished. It's finished. And then he rose from the dead. It's a done deal. I spend a day in the yard. I have like a list of things that I need to get accomplished. And, you know, if I get those accomplished, I pretty well just sit and don't talk to anybody the rest of the day and think I did pretty good. But you know what Jesus does? He's accomplished the hardest thing of all time. Nobody deserved rest more than Christ. And you know what he does? Peter has denied Jesus. Jesus is resurrected. It is finished and done. And Jesus, in his resurrected body, walks, put his feet on the pavement, and walks who knows how long to go and find Peter. Come on. Try and get me to do something after a long day's work. Try. Reluctantly. (laughs) I'd be like, can somebody else do it? Jesus has scarred hands. I mean, just imagine, come on now, go there with me. Just imagine now, if your best friend had betrayed you in that way, in 20 years from now, if that person had begged for your forgiveness for 20 straight years, would in 20 years from now you have the energy and the compassion to go and forgive them? Would you? Christ immediately says, let me go find Peter. It's profound. That's a, that's a kind of love that we don't have a grid for. What happened then was Peter was out fishing. I can't imagine what he felt. Can you imagine thinking like, okay, finally Messiah's here. Finally God has come and he's gonna give us Rome, he's going to give us this government. He's going to give us what we deserve. And then not only does he not give you what you deserve, but he's actually not even the God that you thought he was. Can you imagine what he was? He was out fishing, back to his old life. Here's what happened. When they got out on land in John 21, they saw a charcoal fire in place, interesting, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, they hadn't been catching anything, and hauled the net ashore. And of course, Jesus, you know, multiplies everything. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? (laughs) Because they knew it was the Lord. They had gone fishing thinking that God had died and so had our dream of God being with us. It was dead. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I love this. Jesus walks to find Peter and doesn't just stand there and say, hey, do you have something to say to me, Peter? Would you like to apologize? He doesn't just do that. He doesn't bring back to him, like, you remember when you betrayed me? Don't you have something to say to me? I feel like you probably owe me something. 
it's really amazing that I, that I even walked to come and find you. Don't you know that? I'm, I don't have to. I'm resurrected. I'm totally fine. I've done it. I've accomplished something you never could. This is all stuff that I would say. I'm, first off, I wouldn't even walk to find him. And <laughs> Jesus doesn't say any of that to him. You know what Jesus does? I, come on now. Now just think about this. He cooks him a meal. First off, they didn't even have food. He gave them food. He multiplied the fish. And then the fish that he provides, he cooks them a meal. That is, that's a kind of compassion, again, that we don't have a grid for. Resurrected Jesus, cooking fish for the man that denied him in front of everybody three times in oaths and curses. This is the kind of love that delivers somebody from addiction. That's the kind of love that delivers somebody from shame. That kind of love is the kind of love that changes the way that you think about your life. That kind of perspective, that's not like you should just do better, try harder. This is like, what kind of love is this? That a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of love that changes Peter. That's the kind of love that helps Peter go, I don't have to be addicted to people's approval, man. I've already got the approval of the one who came and cooked breakfast for me on the beach. You understand what I'm saying to you today? That's a different kind of love. This is the kind of love that rallies the troops. This is the kind of love that helps a man stand up in front of the very people that he had denied Jesus to and preach a sermon in Acts 2 and not care one iota what they care about because I've got news that I've got to tell you. It's profound. For all the deniers, for all the backsliders in the room, for all the depressed, for all the anxious, for all the ones who've not measured up or cared enough or made oaths against Christ, I just wanna tell you today that Jesus is doing the same thing for you. He's offering you a seat at his table and it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how many times you've denied it. If Christ can go and pursue Peter, then he is pursuing you today. You may think that it's some random accident that you're here today. You may think it's just, well, my parents wanted me to come or somebody dragged me out of bed or it's, it's Easter, this is what you do. It's not a coincidence. And this is gonna freak you out, I guarantee you. It is, not by, it is not because you decided to be here. There is a sovereign God who desperately loves you. He orchestrated your life for you to be here today to hear this story. There's no such thing as being able to win the love of God. There's no such thing. He offers it because of how good he is which is great news if you're in touch with reality like we said, which is great news if you've realized I'm anxious, I'm cra- I don't know if I'm fixable. That's great news for everybody who's self-aware in the room today. You need a savior and you're not it. Second thing that it does is this, quickly. The resurrected Christ frees us from addiction And shame, it gives us a new identity, but it also frees us from dead religion. In Acts 2, here's the scene. There were dwelt, there were now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, which is where Peter preaches this sermon in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. The word devout means uh, having zeal, 
It means that they were dedicated. These were, these were men that were very religious men from all over the place. These were the very men that said there's no way Christ is a Messiah. They were the ones that really crucified Jesus. And they were also the ones that Peter had denied Jesus to. Peter is about to preach the sermon that started the church. He's about to preach it to very religious men. These are men that were temple men. They knew about church. They led in church. They had memorized at least the first five books of the Bible, but most of the Old Testament. Devout men. They knew all about church and how church was supposed to be, and they knew that when you're supposed to go to church on certain days or certain times or whatever, because they, they grew up in an area where they were, they were really devout. I mean, they... A lot like us, Pot County, it's like we know exactly what church is supposed to be. I know about the resurrection. If you were to ask me, Pastor, do you believe in the resurrection? I would say, yeah, I believe in the resurrection. Because you know why I'm living, Shawnee, and you know, this is the way I, you know, I, I feel like I'm pretty well-versed in what church is supposed to be. I know a lot of good, strong Christian people, and if you, you know, I do pretty good. I don't cuss all the time, <laughs> just some of the time. I'm not trying to get on anybody in particular. I'm just saying I do pretty good. I go to work. I, you know, take care of my family or whatever it is. I'm, I would consider myself, yeah, I fit the bill. If you look at just the way that my qualifiers, I think that I'm a Christian for sure. But the problem is, is the problem with them, the problem with these men who are devout men, with Peter and with all of them, is that they're missing the most important qualifier, and it's this. Do you know Christ? Do you know him? Have you, have you done what Jesus invited Peter to do? Because at the beach, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And by the third time, he's just kind of upset and worn out by it. He's like, yeah, I love you. So, okay, feed my sheep, Peter. And then Christ does something really bizarre to Peter on the beach. He tells him that he's going to die. And he tells him how he's going to die. What a weird thing. It's like, we were having such a great time, Jesus. What a weird thing. Why would he say that and why would it be, and be included in the Bible? Because of this, because Jesus knows without a doubt. It's like, I've asked you, do you love me? And now let me tell you what's gonna be required of you, your life. It's, your life is required to follow me. And that's the mark. That's the qualifier. For all of us in the room today, it's like, not does your life kind of, does it outline in a way that go, okay, I've got lots of qualifiers that you would say like, I'm probably a Christian really just based on how I was raised. or But the question is this, is have you said, I'm, I'm gonna die for this? I, according to the Bible, the way to follow Jesus, Jesus says this, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And I'm not saying we're any good at it, but have you said that? Have you said, yes, I'm, I'm denying myself to the best of my ability to follow Christ? In Acts 2, there were devout men who looked the part and knew the part but didn't know Christ. And none of them had denied themselves. In this country and in this room today, there are many people just like them. We love the idea of being Christian-type people, but praying before meals, going to church, maybe looking the part and even saying, yeah, I believe in the Bible, but realistically, we don't really know him. And the message of the cross is old hat to a lot of us. If I were to even ask you, do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? You probably would say, yes, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But 
then it has no bearing on my life. I wouldn't be able to look at your life and tell you believe in the resurrection of Christ. If you reason with me for one second, what would a person's life have to look like if they believed that God came and lived in the flesh and died and rose again? What kind of power would that man who did the rising, the one who emptied the grave and defeated death, because everybody's gonna die. If there was a man that had defeated that great enemy, what, what, what kind of power would he have? What kind of authority would he then get to possess? What, would be, what kind of man would he have to be at this point? There was an article written by a writer in the Wall Street Journal that a friend of mine sent me. Um, I don't know when it's from, dated from, but it's from the Wall Street Journal and it just says this. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, everything changes. In that case, you cannot set aside any of his teachings because a person who rises from the grave, who demonstrates his power over death and who has definitively proven his divine authority, he needs to be listened to. What that person says demands a response. In short, the resurrection makes a claim on you. What difference does Easter make in the life of a Christian? The message of Easter is all at once, easy to understand, radical, subversive, and life-changing. Easter means that nothing is impossible with God, and moreover, that life triumphs over death, love triumphs over hatred, hope triumphs over despair, and that suffering is not the last word. Easter says, above all, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is an odd thing to read in a secular newspaper, he said, but I'm merely stating a central Christian belief. If he is Lord and you are a Christian, then what he says has a claim over your life. We don't get to say, yes, I believe in the resurrection of Christ, but not actually live under the authority of Christ. Because if a man beats death, come on, if a man beats death, he has more power than I have. I can't, have you beat death? It's not just a Christian type thing to say we believe in the resurrection. It is laying down our very lives to submit to the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. So Peter, Peter had an encounter with resurrected Christ. And that changed everything in the man's life, now and eternity. And now he's preaching to a bunch of men who had rejected the resurrection of Christ. And it's about to change everything in their lives and eternity. So Peter stands with confidence in Christ. And this is what he said. And I want to invite you, listen like you've never listened before. Listen like those men. Let it speak to your heart today, the reality of the gospel. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, 
As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David, the great prophet David, the one who slay Goliath, David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, to hell, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life but you will make, full of glad, make me full of gladness with your presence. That's David saying about Christ. David, one of the greatest men of all time. Death came for David. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He was poured out, this that you yourselves and seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So let all in the house of Israel and all in Frontline Church in Shawnee and Pot County therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He has both authority and he's our savior. This Jesus whom you crucified. So the invita invitation today is for you to respond like them. The resurrected Christ is the one that frees us from addiction and shame and dead religion. And their response was this. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And you know what Peter said to them? And I'm saying it to you today, here's what you do. You repent. You do it imperfectly. You say, I don't know all there is to know. I don't know how to follow Jesus, but I know I want to follow Jesus. I know he has authority and I want him to have authority over my life. And then you get baptized in front of the church and in front of everybody else and you don't worry about what people think about whether or not you're being baptized. And you may have been in church a thousand million times in your life and you know everything there is to know and you've heard this gospel message a thousand million times, but. Today, it means something totally different to you and you can't explain that, but it makes sense to you for the first time today. And you do like Peter and you not worry about what anybody else thinks and you go, I need Jesus. I know I need that man that that was just preached about. I know I need him. And then you give your life to Jesus and you get baptized. That's what you do. Maybe there's several in the room like that today. My sense is that there are. And I just wanna to say to you, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be that day. Don't hesitate, don't wait. God has orchestrated your life for you to be here today. 
listen to God speaking to you. We're going to take communion together. That'll be unfamiliar to some of you. This is a meal for the people of God. It's a beautiful meal. The night that Jesus was betrayed by his friends, like we just talked about, he had the meal with them. And he knew that they were going to betray him, but he offered his body and his blood to them anyway. And he says something profound. He says to them, this is my body that is broken for you. Broken body of Christ, it, not literally, but in the heavens and more than just a symbol, and, but also symbolically, this is the body of Christ. So when we take and we eat this bread and this practice and this communion, we're saying, I believe and put my trust and hope in the body of Christ. I am a Christian that has surrendered my life to him. And then he held up a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. He was foretelling the great feast, the thing, but the feast, in order for it to come, for the feast to come, something had to come first, which was God being brutally destroyed on our behalf. That was what we were due. But he did that for us. You understand what I'm saying? So this meal is us eating bread and drinking wine and saying, yes, I believe that, and yes, I'm laying down my life to follow Christ imperfectly. But yes, nonetheless, that's what I'm doing. It's available to anybody that would repent and turn away from their sin today. Anybody. But only for those that would turn away from their sin. If you're not a Christian, I would just ask you don't take this meal. You're not ready for it yet. It wouldn't make sense for you to take it. It requires faith. With faith, it's the assurance that we are forever sealed in God's family. Let's stand together.